was a dark and stormy night, the kind that grips you with fright, cause the raging wind is howling like a beast, and the rain pounds without cease. In the darkness I stood alone, with nothing but my thoughts to roam, as lightning flashed across the sky, illuminating fears that I felt and I could not deny. In the middle of the storm's fierce might, I felt a stirring, an urge to take flight, escape the night, and leave behind what held me tight, and chase my dreams and win the fight. But the winds and rain clung hard to me, while I tried and tried to set myself free from the darkness, from the secrets, and from the unknown. Or could I make the storm my own? Was there a way to figure it out? Beyond a doubt, a way out. I looked about, but I couldn't see a way out. I couldn't break free. But then, a light came looking for me. It was that light that set me free from the storm that roared inside of me. He was that light, a shining light. That light who brought me hope and helped me to ignite a fire that would burn so bright and make all right my dark and stormy night. Storylines. Write good things. So is the name Edward Bul Bulwer-Lytton familiar? Anybody heard that name, Edward Bulwer-Lytton? All right, probably not familiar to most of us. He, in, in 1830, he wrote a novel that was called Paul Clifford. Anybody ever read the novel Paul Clifford? Anybody ever heard of this novel Paul Clifford? Well, you probably have not read it or heard of it because the book was not really known for itself. It was actually known for the line that got it started. And that line was, if you're thinking here, it was a dark and stormy night. He was the originator of that line. And he went on and he wrote, actually, to open that book, he wrote a 58-word sentence that didn't even have a comma in it to set the stage for his drama, Well, what's, uh, for his story. But it's become a little bit of a joke because it was so over the top. In fact, there's a, a term that's used for that in writing today that's called purple prose. Purple prose is this idea that you overstate, that you become melodramatic, that you go over the top, effusive in the words that you use to present your thing. So instead of like really writing the scene so that you could feel it, he just announces this is what the scene is. It was a dark and stormy night. Well, it's become a little bit of a joke, especially in the, in the English literature world. And uh, Everybody laughs about it. In fact, back in 1982, the English department at San Jose State University started the Bulwer-Lytton Writing Contest. And every year, you can enter this contest, and the goal is to see who can write the absolute worst opening line to a drama. But that is where this idea that a dark and stormy night came from. Now, we've been using that line to talk about the dark and stormy light uh, night that we often feel inside of ourselves. And we go through life and we have our happy faces and we go through life and we're fine and, and we just kind of live in a very surfacey outward way where most people don't realize and don't know what's really going on inside of us. And the truth is that what's going on inside of us a lot of times is dark 
and it's stormy, and it's tumultuous, and we can feel that inner turmoil. Well, today I want to talk about a subject that maybe doesn't have the intense feelings that that does. So today it's not really a dark and stormy night. Today I want to talk about more like a dark and foggy night. A dark and foggy night. And I want to talk about an issue that's received more attention lately, and it was really brought to light by the pandemic. And when we were all condemned, I mean, when we were all told that we needed to live at home, and uh, we, we were all stuck in our houses there, and the word is languishing. And I don't know if you ever heard that word used, but the idea of languishing is you're like, you're just kind of there. It's not like life is lived on highs or life is lived on lows. You're not like all excited. You're not like all depressed. You're just kind of like, eh, meh. You use that word, how are you? How are you feeling? Uh, nah. That's what languishing is all about. It's this idea that life is not particularly good or bad. But because of that, we struggle with feelings of disinterest, or it's hard to be motivated, or we just end up sitting on the couch and just like doing nothing and like, oh, how are you? Yeah. Meh. But sometimes that's what's going on inside us. Because life is just a, a series of that feeling. Like day after day, week after week. How was today? Fine. Oh, well, it was good. Nothing. What was bad? Hmm. And we just kind of go through day like that. And if there's a word that describes it, it's like boring. But we sit there and there's that sense in us that it's like, seems like it should be more than this. Well, let's look at that idea here this morning of languishing. And, and all the words that go with languishing, we could say it when you feel joyless or when you're going through the, motive, uh, through the motions or, or maybe you feel de uh, demotivated or bored or indifferent or apathetic or lethargic or stale or depleted or you're just not feeling it. However you want to describe it, the idea here is this idea of languishing, that place in between. So how do we get there? How do we get to this place of languishing? That's the first question I want to look at today. And how do we get out of there? That's the second question today. But let's just start by talking about how we get there to this place of languishing, the land of languishing, if you want to call it that. Because I think there's at least four pathways, and I'm sure there are more than that. But let's at least talk about four here to start with. We get there sometimes because we're merely stuck in a rut. It's just the routine becomes the same old, same old. It's the same at work. It's the same at home. It's, you know, the old what's new. Nothing's ever new. And we just keep going through the same thing. And if you live in Michigan, the same thing is like, uh, you know, spring weather that's just like rainy and 50. But that's part of the, you know, look out the windows like, oh, good, another day of this. And that's just how we feel, though, but we get stuck in this rut. And we go to work, and we do the exact same things every day at work. And, and we come home, and we, you know, we have our five, our five uh, things that we keep on the menu, our, our Monday meal and our Tuesday meal and whatever. And we just keep doing the same things. And sometimes we just get stuck in a rut. It's the old wash, rinse, and repeat kind of way that we live life. There's no excitement. There's no ups. There's no downs. In fact, you could say it this way. Life just sometimes becomes very daily. And one day looks like the day before, and, and then the day following looks like the day before. And we can get into that rut, and we get stuck in a rut. And so sometimes that's the reason that we feel this languishing emotion. Sometimes we feel it because we jump from experience to experience. So we want to break out of the rut, so we go and we find something that's going to be really like exciting and get us pumped up, and yeah, we'll go do that. But when we get to the end of it, we start to feel that you know, letdown, 
So it's like, I, I got to find the next thing. And before we know it, we've just stacked up so many different things that we just live, we, we don't do this. We just kind of, but in the process of that, we plateau and, and, and we, we just become very, you know, we just raise the level of our monotony there. But we're always pushing back because we want to experience the next thing. Because the next thing maybe will give me that buzz or that thrill or, or that, you know, adrenaline rush, whatever it happens to be. But we become kind of desensitized. And life becomes mad because we find that these experiences ultimately leave us a little bit empty. And, you know, the exact great example of this was Solomon in the Scripture. Who's like, I, you know, I'm going to find out what life is all about. And so he did education, and that was like, eh, meh. And then, you know, let's do wealth. Eh, that's like, meh. Let's do relationships. Eh, that's and he goes through this whole list of things, and he keeps trying to, to string together these highs, and psh, he just ends up bottomed out. Another reason that we often struggle with this is because we live in the margins of life. In life, it has so many demands on us emotionally, mentally, physically, that we can't handle it all. And so we go to the margins where our reserves are, and we pull from those margins. And so this, this situation comes up at work, and I'm like, gosh, I'm already you know, fatigued and worn out. And so I, I pull from my emotional reserves to, to, to deal with that. And, and it just keeps draining us. And so all of these things take from us, and, and then I add on top of that, we don't have any spare time to actually recover and, and to renew ourselves, and we can find ourselves in this land of languishing, where we have no energy, and because we have no energy, we can't even feel anything, because that takes energy. Or there's a fourth reason that we enter the land of languishing, and I really want us to think about this one today, and not that those other ones don't matter, because they do. But sometimes we end up in the land of languishing because God takes us there. And that's a really important thought, and we're going to come back to that in a minute. But we ask the question, how do we get there? The second question is, how do we get out of the land of languishing? And Well, if you go to psychology, the answer is, well, go do something. You know, go for a walk or, or and just put something else on the schedule, and it's like, Wait, that's part of the problem. Is there a better way to do that? Yeah, I think so. And it shows up in a really interesting place, and it's the book of Jeremiah. So I want to invite you to turn with me there to the book of Jeremiah. We're going to be in chapter 29. And to give you a little bit of the backstory, Jeremiah was a prophet, and he was a prophet in Israel in time when. Uh, uh, in Judah when they were taken into captivity in Babylon. And as he writes his book, he's writing, in this case, to the captives, to the exiles who have been taken into Babylon. And that's the, the story here. But he's talking to some people who have just entered the land of languishing. They had been taken from Jerusalem about a thousand miles to Babylon and that's where they are. Now, they weren't taken there as slaves. They were taken there as captives, and they had certain freedoms, and, and they could do things, and they could move about, but they couldn't go home. And there are definitely limitations that they faced in their life that they couldn't push past. And so they are living in this land of languishing, where every day is going to not be what they'd hoped it was going to be. It's just going to be what it is. And the next day may just be what it is, and the next day may just be what it is again. And so they're in this place of languishing, and this is their story. And their story, though, is helpful because it reflects our story. 
And there's a lot that we can learn from this passage here, I think, to help us when we're dealing with this idea of languishing. So let's read it, and then we're going to go back and dissect it a little bit. But in verse number 4, Jeremiah is speaking here, but he says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So Jeremiah is speaking, but he's speaking for God. But here, notice what God said to start with. I carried them into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's the instructions to these people. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And I really like that phrase there. Increase, don't decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. That's Babylon. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them declares the Lord. And just to give you an explanation of what's going on in those verses that we just read, there were false prophets who jumped up there and were talking to these exiles and said, hey, just hang on. This is only going to be a couple of years. And like, and this is our vision from God. And in two years, you're going to come back here. So if you can just hang on, you're going to be fine. And Jeremiah saying, no, 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 don't listen to them. Actually, God's saying through Jeremiah, don't listen to them. And this is what the Lord says, verse number 10. When 70 years are completed for Babylon. I will come to you and will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So it's not going to be two years like these false prophets are telling you. It's going to be 70 years of languishing. And then comes a really familiar verse, especially as we get to graduation season, because we love to pull this verse out right here. And he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's interesting, that's the context of that verse, and we use it in different ways. But then he goes on and says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. And so there's some just ideas that I think that we need to grab on as we read this passage here. The first one is this. Sometimes we walk into this land of languishing on our own, but there are times that God takes us there in our lives. And that's what happens to the people that, that are being addressed in this scripture here. God's saying, um, yeah, you're in this place, not what you'd pick, and you're going to be there for 70 years, and yeah, I took you there. However, don't just stop with that. And he goes on here, and he says, not only did I take you there, he said, you're going to be there for a while. And so sometimes when God leads us to this place of languishing, it may be that place in your life where it's just like boring and nothing's ever happening, and you're just like, eh. And God's like, yeah, that's exactly where I'm putting you. And not only am I going to put you there, it's going to be a while. And that's what's so hard about it, right? If you could say, oh, I only have to do this for two years, I can handle that. I got to do this for 70 years? That's not quite as exciting there. But don't miss this either, though. If you find yourself in this place, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. And this is words of encouragement from God to these people saying, Hey, you're going to be in this place. You wouldn't pick it. You probably don't want to live in Babylon. 
You probably don't want to live there for 70 years. You'd probably like to come home, but sorry, this is how it's going to be. However, this does not have to be a horrible experience in your life. And so really this prophecy is to correct the false teachers, but it's also to give the people encouragement. You're like, well, wait a minute. He's telling me he's got to be there for 70 years. That's not that encouraging. But if you look at what he said, what we just read, there's a ton of encouragement in there for those people, and there's a ton of encouragement in there for us as well. Look at verse number four, uh, or five again with me. What does he say? He says, hey, build houses and settle down. Take care of what you need to take care of. And don't let your situation keep you from acting. Just, just go live your life. You need a house? Go build a house. There's nothing that's stopping you from doing that. And sometimes when we get into this languishing thing, it's like, oh, I can't do this and I can't do this. And so we don't do anything. And God's like, oh, what, what, what can you do and what do you need to do? Just go build your house. Have at it. Then what does he say? Plant a garden. You plant a garden, you know, what's the point of that? It's like, think beyond the moment. Okay, you can still do things that will change your future. It may not change where your circumstances have put you, but it can still change how you are functioning within those circumstances. And think a little bit outside of the moment because the garden, you know, you plant it, and, and then you're going to reap it later on there. You can still do things in your life here that are going to affect your future, that are going to make it better. Just go do that. Plant yourself a garden. Then he says what? Get married and raise a family. And, you know, then let them get married, and they can have kids, and you can have a generational thing going on here. But it's like, live your relationships. Live your life. Lean into your marriage. Lean into your family. Lean into relationships. And this is where that little phrase came up. Increase in number. Don't decrease. Look at this situation and saying, you know what? There are still opportunities to create more than where we started. And sometimes it's like, I'm just so limited, I can't do any more. And God's like, oh yeah, you can always do more. And even in these moments of languishing, what more can you do? And then he says what? Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. And he says to pray for the city. And the point here is look for ways to contribute. You're a member of society. Don't pack it in. Get out there and say, well, what can I contribute? And maybe I'm not going to go out there and do something great and awesome because I have these limitations, but do you have a neighbor that needs help? Or do you have a child that, that, that needs your love? Or, or do you have, a, you know, find your thing. Pray for those people that are your neighbors. Pray for the government leaders of Babylon. How crazy is that? God's saying, make the most of your situation or use your languishing as a positive in your life. And if we back that out just a little bit, I think there's actually four things here that God is saying to these people that if we can get our heads around, we can look at our periods of languishing and say, oh, I can make the most of it by doing these four things here. First one is this. Understand the virtue of the ordinary. We live in a world that's really turned on by what's extraordinary. And, and we're always looking for, you know, the thing that's like, like nothing we've ever done before, like nothing we've ever experienced before. Or, or, um, or, or we're looking for that relationship that's somehow better than any relationship I've ever been. Or I'm looking for that job that is somehow better. And, and we have all these, like, pictures of grandeur. And even for ourselves, 
Like, I don't want to, you know, and we hear that all the time. Just don't settle for ordinary. Go off and be great. You know, like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And yet I think what God is saying in this is, you know what? There's going to be an awful lot of ordinary in your story. Be okay with that. Be okay with your dinner on Tuesday evening at home. And be okay with eating your sandwich Thursday at lunch at break time. And be okay with the fact that, you know, there's just a lot of life that is just daily. You know, be okay with coming to church every week. Just be okay with the ordinary because that's where we live our lives. Our lives were never meant to be this, all these crazy things. We can't keep up with that. We can't sustain that. And yet when we are forced to step back, we're like, oh, this is so boring, this is so dull, whatever. But you know what? There's a lot of joy that you can find in those moments. There's a lot of joy that you can find in that cup of coffee that you drank this morning. There's a lot of joy that you can find in driving home and looking at some of the scenery. It's like, oh, there's a lot of the ordinary in our lives that we can simply just utilize in excess and enjoy. When you think about what he said here, houses and gardens, it's pretty ordinary stuff, isn't it? When's the last time you walked in your house, sat down and said, I'm so grateful to have a house. Look at this. I get to live here. Or, or, you know, maybe you have a garden or maybe you go to the grocery store. Have you ever thought about just the ordinariness of the grocery store and how much there's extraordinary there? Like, you get to pick from like one of 400 avocados. But there's so much just ordinary in life and we sometimes... We're like, oh, I don't, want, I don't want everything to be ordinary. And, and I think in the ordinary, there's a lot of joy and a lot of contentment that we can experience there. Secondly, embrace the value of investment. In a lot of these things, that when, when, when God says, you know, plant a garden, when God says, have a family, when God says, pray for the city, what is it? Do what you can now because it will have influence later on. And regardless of what's going on in your life, there are still things that you can do now that do have future impact. And we need to look to those things. And sometimes we struggle because I'm like, oh, I'm just stuck where I am right now. And do you hear what those last two words were? I am stuck where I am right now. And that's all we can focus on is the now, the now, the now. Well, okay, can we turn and can we look to the future just a little bit to say, okay, what can we do about that? We don't have to change the world, but we can change one situation. But we need to embrace the value of investment and realize that even in this moment where you may feel stuck, where you may be waiting for something in life, you still have those opportunities to invest in the future. And it may not be anything spectacular. It may just be like praying with your kids before they go to bed. Or, or maybe it's just you know, encouraging somebody at work. Maybe it's just sharing your faith. There are so many little things that you can do for the future. Thirdly, pursue the vision of flourishing. And what God is saying here is, hey, you know what? I realize that you're in Babylon. Don't let that freak you out. Because you can still live a life that's just fine. In fact, you can live a life that's more than fine. You can live a life that is flourishing and meaningful. And maybe not exciting and that it's all, you know, fireworks. But maybe it's exciting in the sense that you can feel and sense and, and contribute and, and, and enjoy life and accomplish things that matter, that you can have a reason to get up every day. Totally possible there. But this is this idea of flourishing. 
And we look at our circumstances and say, I can never do anything in these circumstances because I'm just locked in here. And God's point is, no, you can flourish wherever you are. And that's really what you were created to do. You were created for. You were created to flourish. And that is like the opposite of languishing. So we can put languishing over here. And we can put flourishing over here where there's life and vibrancy and excitement. Fourth thing here. Claim the verse for the future. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now here's the question. Who was this promise for? It really wasn't for us, although we can pull on it, okay? The question is, was it for the people who were never going to leave Babylon, or was it for their children? I think it's for the people who were never going to leave. And this is what Jesus, or excuse me, this is what God says through Jeremiah. He says, now. You're going here to Babylon. You're going to be there 70 years. You're never leaving. But know that I have plans for you. In this moment, in this situation, these plans are to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. In the moment of languishing, he said, oh, but I have big plans. And maybe the big plan wasn't to lead some army. There was no army to lead. Maybe it wasn't to start some business. Maybe they didn't have those opportunities. Maybe the plans were just simply to do those ordinary things or whatever. But remember these things. First of all, remember that God does have a plan, and his plan is not harmful. Even the fact that God took them into captivity, he had no intention of harming those people that went into captivity. And sometimes we are put in Difficult situations in life. Sometimes we are put in these Babylon moments. And we don't enjoy them, but they're not meant to be harmful. And God is not going to, and he's not trying to harm you. It might not be what you'd pick. But God's like, huh, I'm not harming you. In fact, in fact, the plan is to give you a future, to give you hope, to give you prosperity according to his measures. That's eventually, but I think it's also in the now. And sometimes like, oh, if I could just get to, and God's like, no, right now. You can have hope. You can have prosperity. You can have the assurance of a future there. And we can look to the future, but we need to live in the moment with hope. There's another thing here, and, and, and I'm going to skip over this, but the plan is artful. And if you've got the resource guide there, there's a little thing on every week that's like if you dive deeper into the chapter, and it's really interesting what, what that word means there, but you, the, the word plan there, what it comes from, you can look that up. But then it's also that the plan is that you will be restored and renewed. Verse number 12, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. This is where God really gets to the bottom line of the whole situation. And why did he take them into this land of languishing? Because that was the place where they were going to find him. That was the place where they were going to come back to him. That was the place where they were going to make some decisions about following him. This was the place, actually, where idolatry stopped becoming an issue for Israel. Up until the captivity, Israel was always into idolatry. After that, we never see it again. Because it was the place of languishing where God's like, okay, in this moment, 
this is where we can connect. This is where you can seek me. And sometimes it's in the hardship of that moment where we seek God. Sometimes it's just in the ordinariness of life. It's like, there's got to be something more than that. But instead of like filling our schedule with something, it's like, you know what? I'm going to fill my heart, my mind with the things of God. And so the plan is that we can be restored and renewed. And I think that sometimes God puts us in these situations in life so that we are limited. So we can't just go out there and do everything. And God's like, okay, you got nothing to do now? How about if we have a talk? How about if it's just you and me in this moment? And if you're finding yourself in some type of languishing in your life, instead of fighting against it, instead of saying, how do I get out of it? It should be, what can I get out of it? And maybe in your life right now, God's got you slowed down. God's got you waiting. God's got you just seems like stuck because he's like, hey, you know what? In this moment, we can connect. And in this moment, actually, you can be renewed and you can be restored. Sometimes we need a little ordinary because we can't keep up the pace. Sometimes we need to have all those things taken away from us so that we can focus on God and who he is. So when you're languishing, it may be because something's out of whack. Maybe you're living in the margins. Maybe you're just chasing the experiences. Maybe it's just because you're just stuck and you can't even control that. The way to fix it is not something that you do other than the way to fix that is to lean on God. He's there to help you in those moments. He can get you to the other end. It might be 70 years. It might be two years. I don't know. But in that moment, he's not worried about getting you out of your situation. He's worried about getting out of you what he wants out of you. And so we need to seek God, lean into his plan, and experience his renewal. Languishing, that's going through the motions. That's living, meh. Not feeling motivated, kind of like uh, life is just kind of already flourishing. That's where you're growing, where you're enjoying the moment and even the ordinariness of the moment, where you're realizing that greatness may not be as great as it's cracked up to be, where you are finding renewal, restoration, where you're contributing where you can, where you're gathering as a family. So the word is, or the line is not, in this situation, it was a dark and stormy night. More like it's a dark and foggy night. So maybe it's time for God to lift your fog for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the, the words that you put in Scripture that just seem to intersect right where we live. And I know for myself, this is where I can find myself a lot. Like, oh, I wish it were better. It's not that bad. Can't complain. We, we have all those things we say, God. But I pray that in this moment, for any person that's in this situation where they just kind of feel like they're stuck or they're languishing, I pray that you would bring hope, that you would bring that sense of, of future, that you, that you would bring that restoration to that person. Our heads are by, our eyes are closed. First question, you're a Christ follower. You're all in when it comes to following God. Are you experiencing languishing? It could be across all spectrums of life. It could just be in some area of your life. But what do you think God wants to do with that 
with that in your life? Uh, are you using it to invest in the future? Are you, are you using it to even embrace and enjoy and appreciate the ordinary? Are you using it to pursue God? And how can you do that? What commitment, decisions do you need to make? That conversation that you have with God right now. Maybe you're not a Christ follower. Jesus came and said, I want to give you life, but I want to give you life that's abundant. I want to give you life that's not like everybody else around you because I want to give you a life that's connected to me, a life that's connected to God. And he went to the cross. He died for our sins so we wouldn't have to, so that we could find forgiveness in eternal life but also abundant life. And maybe not defined the same way that the world around us does but a life that's connected to Jesus Christ. And if you've never placed your faith and trust in him, I would invite you to do that this morning. Jesus, you came. You came for sins. That's, that's what this baptism was about we did at the beginning of the service. You died, you rose again so that I could have my sins forgiven and I could experience new life. I encourage you just to have that conversation with God and ask him to give you forgiveness and new life through Jesus Christ questions about that, I'd love to talk to you as well. God, thank you for these stories that show up in Scripture that I think you put there just so that we can be encouraged sometimes. It's just so that you can say, yeah, you know what? You're worried because you're in that place, but I've got you. I've got you there. I've got plans. God, thank you so much for that encouragement. Thank you for your word. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand with us here this morning. I invite you back next week. We'll be talking about Mother's Day. We'll be talking about the darkness of overwhelm and uh, how we can get overwhelmed sometimes in life and what do we do with that. But uh, Chris will sing for us here as we close, and then we've got this reception for Brad afterwards. Please stick around and express to Brad how much you appreciate him.